All right, uh, we're starting a new series of studies uh, tonight in the book of Daniel. So if you can find Daniel in the scriptures, turn there. Or you should. Uh, if you happen to find Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, and then Lamentations, and then Ezekiel, and right after Ezekiel is Daniel. Now, I, I really struggled while we were doing the, the book of uh, Revelation as to what I was going to be doing afterwards, because I was going straight into Ezekiel, because we had just finished uh, Jeremiah a couple of years, couple of years ago. Yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago. Uh, finished Jeremiah and Lamentations, and we were going to go straight into Ezekiel. And I decided to take the book of Revelation first, and then get back to Ezekiel. But um, now that we've just come off of the book of Revelation, Daniel really is the, um, the more proper book to go to because of its ties to the book of Revelation. <coughs> and so uh, we will get to Ezekiel right after the book of Daniel. Uh, as I'm... I'm not able to, I, I wanted to, I was able, I wanted so much to, to get through uh, the book of Daniel like we're going through the book of First Thessalonians on Sunday mornings, and, and that's, that's going real well. I think it's going as, as planned, and, and uh, because this coming Sunday we'll be finished with another book, the First Thessalonians, but we are going to go into Second Thessalonians, and um, so we're going to be doing that on Sunday mornings. Uh, so there's a lot of, if you notice, there's a lot of connection to prophetic issues, but at the same time, there's a lot of practical issues too. And that is the necessary balance for understanding prophecy. Because if it's only about prophecy, then we're really not, uh, we're, we're really not where God wants us to be. We have to understand the, the, the practical with the prophetic. And I, and I believe this past Sunday, uh, this past weekend, as we were dealing with uh, sanctification and justification and dealing just with... Uh, the things that we need to be uh, avoiding in this life and staying near to the Lord and, and, and getting right in our lives is uh, while we're waiting for the Lord to come. Uh, you know, these are, are grand issues. Well, the book of Daniel is just that way too. It's a tremendously practical book. I think if there's a theme of the whole book, of Daniel, aside from just the prophetic, the theme would be found in this title, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you'll notice we're not going too far. But then again, we're in a new book, and so there's a little bit of an introduction that we need to take, because I think there needs to be an established foundation in our understanding of the book of Daniel. So let's read the first two verses of Daniel. Be thankful that we're even reading that many. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, or Shinar, to the house of his God, 
And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Well, as much as the book of Daniel, as I said, is, is, is a powerful and necessary foundation to understanding biblical prophecy, it is truly a, a very practical book of Scripture to study, for it teaches us how a young man, and, and, and when I say young, he's, he's young when we first meet him, uh, but he lives a long, long time. But it teaches us how a young man can be at the center of an extremely pagan society and still live for God. And I want to emphasize that because, you see, we live in an extremely pagan society. I would like to say that we don't. I would like to say that living in the United States of America, which has for many, 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 many years been called a Christian nation, founded on Judeo-Christian principles, founded upon the Bible, founded upon the Word of God, founded upon the Ten Commandments as the rule of law and the establishment of law in our country. I'd like to say that we are not a, an extremely pagan society. But here we are today with the wickedness that's all around us, with the sensuality and the sexuality and the sexual issues all around us and every, just about in everything that we have around us, uh, all media and other outlets. Our schools today have lost the foundation of moral and ethical behavior. That's not important anymore. And it's really sad when our own president says, and he said it early on, and I'm not, I'm not making anything up here, but he said this really wasn't a Christian nation anymore. In effect, that's what he said. Well, it's okay. For, for one thing, it reminds us what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he said, listen, don't be deceived. A lot of things are going to happen. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be all kinds of famines and pestilences and plagues. He says, this is just letting you know that the time of the end is, is near. Well, that's where we are. So we can say, okay, Jesus was right. We're living in the last days. In fact, we're living in the last of the last of the last days. So that should encourage us to do one thing. Dare to be a Daniel. So we've got to listen to what the Scripture says about Daniel because he was a young man who said, I'm not going to bow down to any other God but the God of Israel. That was his life. And so this Daniel was never influenced by the world. He was never influenced by the world. Write that down. Daniel was never influenced by the world and neither should we. We should never be influenced by the world. In fact, he lived his entire life that way through various government takeovers. And there were a few. And we'll read about those as we get into the study. Now, now this should be a great encouragement to each of us, that we can be in this world system 
and still take a stand for God. And we can still take a stand for His Word. And we can still take a stand for His Son, Jesus Christ. We can take a stand in the power of His Holy Spirit. And we can still stand up for righteousness. And no matter what anybody says, the Scriptures tell us that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And as long as we're still here, as long as we're waiting for Jesus to take us out, He has us here for a reason, and we need to use every available opportunity to pray, to serve, to witness, to, to show the love of Jesus Christ. That's taking a stand for righteousness. Now, as I've already alluded to, the book of Daniel is the most important of the prophetic books found in Scripture, for it not only tells us of all the world empires from Daniel's day to the last day's world empires, it also tells us the exact day that Jesus Christ would ride through Jerusalem as Messiah the King in His first coming. When we get to that section, it's, it's just going to really, as they say, blow you away. <laughs> How precise... The prophecy was and is. And it also speaks of the day the kingdom will be established, the second coming of Jesus, to the exact day, not to mention that the starting point for that is the abomination of desolation that Jesus referred to as coming from the prophet Daniel. And that's a very important point as we get ready to get into the introduction, because this is just the pre-introduction to the introduction. Okay? Now one reason why we are immediately studying the book of Daniel so soon after our study of the book of Revelation, is that the book of Daniel actually unlocks many of the mysteries in Revelation that we've already dealt with. But, and, and while we covered those mysteries in our study of Revelation, we'll examine them further in light of our present world conditions. So it, it really actually becomes an even greater and, and, and an even more contemporary prophetic book, as we shall see, to where we are today. And coupling that with the book of Revelation you'll be astounded how, how wonderful this foundation of Daniel and Revelation will be to our understanding of, of prophecy in our day and time. Now, one of the problems uh, with the book of Daniel is the accuracy in its prophecies. Now, now folks, let me, let me, let me make, make sure that you understand what I mean. And I'm going to say it again. One of the problems with the book of Daniel is the accuracy in its prophecies. There's no problem with the accuracy. It is extremely accurate. It really is accurate. Why do I say it's a problem? Well, the minute details that Daniel gives us hundreds of years before they even took place, that's become a problem to some people. Let me say that it isn't our problem if we believe the Scriptures. They're extremely accurate. The problem belongs to the critics of the Scriptures. The so-called higher critics. The theologians of the past 150 years, nearly, well, actually going back even into the uh, Enlightenment age of, of the uh, 18th century, where they were beginning to, to uh, criticize and, and downplay the Word of God. And then, of course, came those, those years in the 19th century when when evolution uh, through Charles Darwin and, and, uh, and, and Charles Lyell and others uh, began to uh, take people's eyes in, in, off of the scriptures and put them on, on, on these uh, theories of, of evolution. 
But the so-called higher critics who question the dating and the authorship of this book, that, that is, this, this is really taking us truly back to the book of Genesis, and I'll show you in just a minute what I mean. Because they don't believe the Scriptures, and they don't believe that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God, they believe that Daniel did not write this book in the 6th century B.C., but some other Daniel wrote it at a much later date. This is the, the common thought of the higher critics. There wasn't really a Daniel that wrote this book in the 6th century B.C., which is when it was written, but somebody much later on. Well, let me tell you that in the 3rd century A.D., so the 3rd century would be what? That would be, let's see, uh, we're in the 21st century, but it's only 20. Uh, 14. So the third century would mean in the years 200 through up to 299. That's that's the third century. So within that time, A.D. after the birth of Christ, in the third century, there was an anti-Christian philosopher named Prophyri, and uh, he stated that Daniel didn't write this book in the sixth century B.C. But what we had, or what the what the uh, Jews had, as far as in their in their canon of, of, of the Hebrew Scriptures, was really a forgery that was written in 50 A.D. That's what this, this philosopher stated. Now again, remember, he was an anti-Christian philosopher. And, and uh, he gave other dates as well. And there were other dates kind of like within the time of the, uh, of the Maccabees, which was 200 years before the birth of Christ, within that, that range there. So there were different dates, but he, he, he took it all the way to 50 A.D. Now that's pretty bold to do that. Because here again, the, the Jews had the book of Daniel for a long, long time. Well, what is tragic about this was, the, was that thought by this prophyry, this, this uh, uh, anti-Christian philosopher of the third century, what is tragic about this was that that thought was picked up by the so-called higher critics or so-called higher criticism theologians of the 17th century. And this teaching continues on to this day in many Christian, quote-unquote, Christian seminaries. Now you get an idea why I sometimes uh, stumble and say cemeteries. Because they're really dead to the truth of the Scriptures. So what they've done now over the last 200 and some years is they've placed doubt on the book of Daniel and even the whole of Scripture. Because if you can't believe the book of Daniel, just like any other book in the canon of Scripture, then you shouldn't be able to believe any of the chapters in any book. So prophecy then, now listen to this, prophecy is then questioned as are all the rest of Bible doctrines pointing us to the root of this skepticism. And what is the root of the skepticism? It takes us right back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where we find the serpent who was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made, the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said? Just that question alone. That is the root of all skepticism today in the world. 
Yea, has God said? Did He really say that? Did He really say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then He goes on, of course, and say, you know, did He really uh, uh, keep you from eating even one piece of fruit from that one tree? Bringing doubt about what God said. Bringing doubt about the Word of God, you see. We call this the lie. This is the lie. In fact, Paul in Romans 1 verse 25, and I, and I use uh, the New King James here because it, it clearly states it the proper way, where he says, who, uh, speaking of those who have gone in that route, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that, of course, you know, ties into the issue of believing uh, the lie that there's, uh, you know, there, there really was billions of years in the creation of the world and that there was evolution and all of that. So there's that tie in there. But it's also tied into the issue of prophecy. Consider, if you will, Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. We're, we're dealing with prophetic issues in this chapter here in Second Thessalonians. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Yea, did God say that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there was always a, a motive in their desire not to believe what God says about, about anything. But especially about Christ's return. Especially about the coming of Jesus Christ to be the, the, the Savior of the world. To be the one who would give his life and, and die on the cross for our sins and whoever would believe. And then of course shed his blood for our forgiveness. But whoever would believe that they would, be, they would be saved from the wrath to come. And people want to believe in that. So people are believing that lie. The lie of the, of the garden. So it, so it affects our, our daily life and it affects the future. It affects what God has already written is going to happen. But if the Bible is the inspired God-breathed Word of God, then we should have no problem accepting these very detailed and accurate prophecies that are found written in this book of Daniel. I mean, we do need to remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He said all Scripture. Now remember, not all of the New Testament had been put together as part of the canon of Scripture at this point. So he's dealing with primarily the Hebrew Scriptures. And he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And is profitable for reproof. For correction. To point out, you know, to put the light upon certain things that are being done wrongly and then to correct those things. And the Word of God is there to give correction as well. Not just to show you the sin, but to also correct the sin. And then in, for instruction in righteousness. Once you've been corrected from the sin, then to move on in the, in the direction of righteousness and living in righteousness until the coming of Jesus Christ. Which is what we've been dealing with in Revelation and, and in First Thessalonians. That the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So there is a reason for trusting and believing every word of the Scriptures. 
Now, it is quite interesting and significant that the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, has, uh, you all, uh, who has ever heard of Josephus? A few of you. Good, good, good. Yeah, all right. This, this is not Josephus, that's Joseph. That's Flavius Joseph there. It's quite interesting and significant that this Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus, recorded, actually recorded an incident that occurred during the time of Alexander the Great, which supports the early authorship of Daniel. The early authorship. In other words, the Daniel was written in the 6th century. Alexander, who, by the way, lived from the years 356 to 323 B.C., before Christ, was at the peak of his might, conquering whomever and whenever and wherever he wanted. As he moved toward Jerusalem in his conquest of the Near East and the Middle East, as he moved toward Jerusalem and enters into the city, the high priest at that time, a man named Jadua, or Yadua, came out to meet him and showed him a copy of the book of Daniel in which Alexander was clearly mentioned. He was so impressed by this that instead of destroying Jerusalem, he entered the city peaceably and even worshipped at the temple. Instead of destroying the city, as, as most leaders like Alexander did in those days, he was so impressed at the fact that Daniel had foreseen him some 250, 60 years earlier. Now it must also be noted that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Septuagint, Septuagint just comes from the, 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 the word for 70. There were 70 Hebrew scholars that translated this, the, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Well, it has to be noted that the Septuagint was translated before the time of another person whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes. We call him in English Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He lived from 215 to 164 B.C., so he fell within that time of the, of the Maccabean period. As a matter of fact, the Maccabees actually uh, rose up against this Antiochus. And this Greek translation contains the book of Daniel. And we shall also see that Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, is clearly shown in the book of Daniel. He is actually the abomination of desolation. And the Septuagint was translated around 285 B.C. So again, uh, this is much earlier than the standard of, of the higher critics, which was this Porphyry, or whatever his name was. 
By the way, Jesus takes away every bit of doubt about those things. As I said before, Matthew 24:15. he says, When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, please understand what, what, what two things are very important here. Number one, he points out the abomination of desolation that Daniel the prophet had mentioned. That is speaking of this Antiochus Epiphanes, what he does. First of all, in the time of the Maccabees, but always remember that prophecy has a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Antiochus Epiphanes was a forerunner to the Antichrist. The other issue that we need to be clear about is Jesus mentions the prophet Daniel. If Jesus is not confused as to whether Daniel existed or not, Jesus who knew before Daniel was even born and calls him by name and, and, and quotes really from the book that Daniel was given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as prophecy, then Jesus settles the issue. The book of Daniel is reliable. It is the Word of God. And it is inerrant. Jesus has confirmed it in His use. By the way, he also states it in Mark 13, verse 14. We won't have to look at it. It's very much the same. The book of Daniel is written in both... Well, let me ask you this. I was going to give you this test earlier. Don't answer out loud. Don't answer out loud. But how many languages are used in the whole of the Bible, Old and New Testament. Don't answer out loud. If you say two, you're wrong. We wouldn't obviously say it's Hebrew and Greek, right? Because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. The book of Daniel and a couple of other books, book of Ezra also, has a portion that is written in Aramaic. Aramaic. So in the book of Daniel, there are two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Now many scholars point to this and say that two different writers wrote the book of Daniel. But they don't understand the Lord and how detailed the Lord is. In Daniel chapters 1 where we are today, through chapter 2, verse 4, the beginning of verse 4. And it actually splits in that verse. But from Daniel 1, 1 to chapter 2, verse 4a, and then you take the section from chapter 8 through chapter 12, the text is written in Hebrew because the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel in the language of His people. From Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, 
B, which is the second part of verse 4, to chapter 7, verse 28, that section there, the text is written in Aramaic. The language of the Babylonian, the language of the Chaldean. Now that's significant because where did Abraham come from? Ur of the Chaldees. From the region of Mesopotamia, from the region of the Euphrates. The languages are very similar. Much of what Jesus stated on a day-to-day basis was usually in Aramaic. It became a language that the, that the Jews used as well, as, along with Hebrew, Hebrew being more of, of the formal language and then, of course, used scripturally speaking and all. But by the time of Jesus walking on this earth, they were pretty well versed in, in other languages. There, there was, because of the Roman Empire, there was Latin. And, of course, because of the, of the Greek influence, because of Alexander, then there was the the uh, the Greek language as well. So that, you know, when when they when they posted, uh, you know, that Jesus was the King of Kings above his cross, you know, was in in those languages. But it was the language of the Gentile world, and I find that significant. And we'll we'll kind of talk about this as as we get to that section in chapter two, and then later on and. Uh, going through that that whole section there um, of the prophecies that are speaking directly to those nations because those nations are going to be judged. So God uses their language to speak to their you know to the Gentile uh, empires and the Gentile nations, not only of Daniel's time, but where is there a lot of activity going on in this world today? in the Middle East, in that very area where Daniel had been carted off to, Babylon, the area of Iraq and Assyria. You might even want to say it's the area that some, much of it is controlled now by that group ISIS or ISIL. Interesting, isn't it? I have this understanding as I look at Scripture as well that when we talk about the church along with the Jews and the Gentiles that in reality once we come to Jesus Christ we're no longer Gentiles if we, if we weren't Jews. And there's a verse of Scripture I'm, I'm going to save it for a little later but I'm going to bring it up. But it has to do with the fact that the mention of three, of, of three types of people the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. And don't forget that we as the church are grafted in to the children of Israel. But we are unique because we are a part of the called out assembly that belongs to God through Jesus Christ. So, it's an interesting thing. 
So just keep that in mind about the language itself. And even though the book of Daniel is a single literary work, it has two major emphases. One has to do with God's program for the Gentile nations, as I mentioned, the section that is written in Aramaic. It was fitting that this prophecy concerning the Gentiles should be in their language. But the the second major emphasis is on the nation of Israel and the influence or effect of the Gentiles on Israel. Now this theme, of course, is developed in chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 4a, which we already mentioned, and chapters 8 through 12, all in in Hebrew. (laughs) So therefore it was fitting that Daniel wrote those portions in Hebrew, which was the language of the Jews. So there's reason why there is that difference there. Why is prophecy then so important to us? Why is prophecy so important to us? And why, why is it that we've been spending so much time in it? <laughs> and maybe some people would even ask the question, is it even important to God? Is prophecy important to God? Well, that's the reason it's so important to us. Because it is important to God. Think about this. 25% of God's Word is prophetic in nature. 25% is completely prophetic in nature. Thus, as we read these things, they will strengthen us, they will encourage us, and it will keep us pure, knowing that the Lord's return can come at any moment. That's the whole reason why the practical is so important in studying the prophetic. John makes this clear, by the way, in 1 John chapter 3, now verses 2 and 3, but I I added verse 1 because I wanted you all to see what a beautiful verse this is. John says in 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says, And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself. If we have the hope of the return of Jesus Christ for us and for the church, then we are being purified because we want our lives to be right at the time that the Lord comes for his church. So he says, even as he is pure. So every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So it isn't just, you know, let's, let's just be really wonderful prophetic scholars here. Well, all we care about is being, you know, prophecy. What else we do otherwise, other than that, you know, doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It always matters in every single case. If we're looking at the prophecies that are pointing toward the coming of Jesus Christ by looking at the prophets of the Old Testament, what were the prophets always dealing with? A disobedient Israel, a a rebellious Israel. And God had to put them into, into captivity, which is where Daniel is, even though Daniel wasn't a sinner. Well, yeah, he was. But, but he wasn't like the other people. I mean, he was righteous. He was righteous. Yes, he was a sinner. He was born as a sinner. But he trusted God. And God used him. See, the fact of the matter is, he, had to, he, he went because God was going to use him. God gave him gifts and, and gave him visions and gave him everything that he needed to get a word to his own people as well as to us. Near fulfillments, far fulfillments. It's all about realizing 
that God cares about how we live until Jesus comes. Prophecy affects our lives and how we live awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. I used this passage the other day uh, on Sunday uh, in our First Thessalonians 4 study, but I, I'm adding the last verse, which I didn't add on Sunday, which is verse 15. But here in Titus 2, again, notice what Paul says in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, let's start right there, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, which means we, we need to live seriously, uh, live righteously and godly in this present world. Uh, now that, all of that we can do by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. Surrendering our lives to the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to change us and to cleanse us and all of that. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we live for the Lord and we look for the Lord who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity. See, there's a sin thing again. What is iniquity? What's well, a type of sin? That He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, just desiring always to serve the Lord, to do good works, not to be saved, but because we're saved, we want to do good works. These things, now notice the, the, the verse that I added here. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. You know what that really encourages you to do? Dare to be a Daniel. Don't let anyone despise you of your stand for Jesus Christ. Because He's coming. His day is near. So speak these things. Exhort people, encourage and, and warn. Rebuke if you have to with all authority. He's telling Titus this. But don't let anybody despise you because you're giving the message of the gospel. Or because you're giving the message of get right. Or as I said one day, get right or get left. Did it, did it go over your head? Did you miss it? Get right or get left. In other words, when the Lord comes for the church, those who aren't in the church are going to be left behind. Got it now? All right, so get right or get left. All right, enough of that. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, or 11 and 12. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Talking about when the, you know, the heavens and the earth and everything is going to be burned up. He says, what manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, which is conduct and godliness, looking for? There it is again. Looking for. The promise has been given. The Lord's coming. It's the future, but it's coming. He's coming. So look for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. One last point before we move on. Turn to Daniel chapter 12. And there in verse 4 and verse 9, we read these two things. Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 and verse 9. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. 
You jump down to verse 9 and it says, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So in the end times, there will not only be an explosion of intellectual knowledge, which verse 4 kind of alluded to, but also a desire to have an understanding of end time events. There will be a desire, hopefully out of every believer, there's a desire to understand the end time events. That certainly doesn't mean everyone, of course, but a good number of people will express a curiosity of end time events simply because the Lord has given us a clear understanding of these days. Can you imagine how many people, think about this for just a moment, how many people today are so ignorant of what's happening in Israel, of what's happening in the Middle East today, of what's happening in, 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 in Syria and, and in Iraq right now with, with ISIS uh, going on a rampage, uh, beheading people and doing all these things that we know have been predicted and prophesied for hundreds, of, if not thousands of years. People are just completely ignorant of it. Why? Well, thank our public education system. Who don't want to teach the truth anymore about history in particular world history. I understand in some places they, they just kind of like close the book on that kind of stuff. What about uh, the revisionists of American history? That's the reason why people don't believe that there was ever a Christian foundation to begin with in this nation. Think about that for a moment. What else should we thank for this ignorance? The fact we've turned everything into a me generation, everything's about me and, instead of anybody else. We are highly technological, aren't we? In every area of science and medicine and all, and yet we have an Ebola virus that's going around scaring people. Have we done the right thing yet about that? No. Is it only the Christians that get on their knees and pray, Lord, I know that you said in the last days pestilences would happen. But Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. By the way, some of the Christians that originally were out there helping people got, got Ebola, they were healed. God taking care of his own. To kind of say to people, you know, I'm still here. But no, let's just go ahead and bring people in here who have it. Right? We thinking straight? It's my prayer that we will learn all we can. To, to give an answer to every man of the hope that lies within us. That's why I want to teach you these things. Because we need to give an answer to every man concerning that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. 
Why we look at the world in a totally different way. Why we look at what's happening in this world in a totally different way. They need to know. Let's look at the deportation of Daniel for just a moment. And that's verses 1 and 2. So let me read those to you again, and we're going to kind of close with these two verses just as a foundation for next week, because then next week we're going to really do the whole chapter. Uh, Daniel 1 verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. By the way, this was in 606, uh, actually between 606-605 B.C., Uh, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. The first two verses of the book of Daniel state when and how the prophet was taken to Babylon. Daniel notes this as the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah's reign. Now, this appears to be in, the, in conflict with the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to resolve this real quick here in just a moment. But it appears to be in conflict with the prophet Jeremiah's statement that the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign was in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. Now, let me show you that in Jeremiah 25, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Apparent contradiction. An apparent contradiction. Number one, is it a contradiction? No. It's an apparent contradiction. It looks like it's a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. Between Daniel 1 and Jeremiah 25 verse 1, and by the way, in Jeremiah 46 verse 2 as well, the statement is made. Because Daniel, and you have to understand this, Daniel calculated a king's years after the Babylonian method. Remember, he was in Babylon when he is writing this. So he's using the Babylonian method, which was, the fir- was, which was that the first year of a king's reign began at the start of the calendar year after he, ha- uh, after he went to, to the throne. So Jeremiah was using the Jewish method of calculating. So it's totally different. It would be the following year would be the first year. So let me mention that uh, Jehoiakim was a Judean king that had been placed on the throne <clears throat> by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. And uh, that was because Pharaoh had uh, come and and actually defeated uh, the Israelites or the Judeans uh, at that time. And so he places Jehoiakim as a puppet king. His name, Jehoiakim, means Yahweh raises up, but the Lord didn't raise him up at all. It was Pharaoh that did. So there's, there's a bad king already. Uh, we're told about his character in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 5, where it says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. So that was his character. He was an evil king. And God was bringing judgment upon this king and upon his people. As I said, he was a puppet king to both Pharaoh Necho and also Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar then, of course, defeats Pharaoh Necho. I mean, this is what's happening in the world at that time. You know, the the stronger army will come and defeat another army, and then, then he puts everybody where he wants them to be. But this king, Jehoiakim, was 
a puppet king to these two kings because of his wickedness. And because of his wickedness, the Lord allowed Jehoiakim to fall to Nebuchadnezzar, who had driven the Egyptians out of the land by 605 B.C. That is the year that Daniel and his friends were taken captive to Babylon. When I say Daniel and his friends, we're going to meet his friends later on in this chapter. Historically, we know that the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. was cut short by his return to Babylon upon hearing about his father's uh, death. His father's name was uh, Nabopolassar, and, and Nabopolassar was actually the king. Nebuchadnezzar is called king because he's going to eventually be king anyway. And uh, so he goes back to Babylon to secure his succession to the throne. The events of verse 2 of our text, in which the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, took place actually during the 597 B.C. deportation. 597 B.C., so that's a few years later. The prophet Ezekiel and others were taken away at that time. So that's why another reason why I started with Daniel before Ezekiel, before, because Daniel was the first out, you know, in the first wave or the first deportation. And then Ezekiel came on the next. Well, this was prophesied in Isaiah 39, verse 7. It says, And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That doesn't sound comfortable. But they become eunuchs. Now, this prophecy has caused some to believe that Daniel and his companions were made eunuchs upon their arrival in Babylon. That's possible, but it's not necessarily uh, true. But we'll talk about that later. Now, the Lord gave Judah into the hands of the Babylonians for two main reasons. The Lord, now listen carefully what I said. The Lord gave Judah into the hands of the Babylonians for two main reasons. First of all, Israel's idolatry was the main reason. Of course, we know that. Israel's idolatry was the main reason. But secondly, was there, a, was there failure to observe the Sabbaths for the land? They did not give the land on the seventh year the rest that God had commanded them to have in Leviticus 25 and 26. So they disobeyed God's word. So this shows that the Lord always settles his accounts with those who refuse to respond to his warnings. By the way, that, that's, that period of time is, is very critical as well, prophetically, that they were supposed to that they're supposed to be judged for the 70 years, the 70 Sabbath years, which they did not let the land rest. But that we will talk about when we get into further into Daniel. In 587 B.C., 10 years later, the city of Jerusalem was invaded and the temple along with the city was destroyed. So verse 2 of our text also mentions the confiscation of some of the furnishings of the temple. The the rest were either hidden or or, or brought to Babylon later. Now this was common practice among nations making the declaration and taking the temple furnishings as this. My God is better than your God. So they would take stuff from the temple and take it to their own God's temple and say, see, my God is better than yours. And while the Lord God of Israel would eventually vindicate himself, this was a very low time for Judah and God's people. It appears that the God of Israel lost out to the gods of Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon. It appears. And again, don't always look at appearances. 
Because the book of Daniel will show the God of Israel asserting and proving himself at a time when the conquest of Israel might have brought God's reputation into disgrace. So this was just a bare bones introduction to the book of Daniel. It's going to get better next week, in other words, okay? All right, a lot of dry facts that I had to give you tonight. It's going to get better. Really, next week, man, we're going to take off. We're going to have a, a good time in the book of Daniel. But let me close with an interesting, dare I say, a striking passage of Scripture that should awaken us to the seriousness of understanding God's prophetic word. Turn to Ezekiel, if you will. Ezekiel chapter 14. Verses 12 through 14. And the re- you'll, you'll see the reason why I'm using this passage to close with tonight. Ezekiel 14, verse 12. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, look at, look at who's there. Those, these, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. I mean, that, that is, is really striking to me. Noah, a man of, a preacher of righteousness, as a matter of fact, that's what the Bible calls him, a preacher of righteousness. Daniel, a man of righteousness. Job, a blameless man, he's called. Even if these men are in the land, when, they, when, when the land is, is, is sinned against God, or the people of the land sinned against the Lord, who would be saved but those who alone are righteous and blameless before God? And they preached righteousness. What is that saying to you? We need to be right with Jesus. We need to quit playing games with God. If we don't know Jesus Christ tonight, we need to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Change my heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Getting right is so important to understand why we are where we are today. Let's get right. And if we're struggling with things, just remember that the Lord says, just call upon me. Come to me if you're laboring or heavy laden. That invitation is for all of us, not just the unbeliever. Too often many of us get into situations where we're just burdened down with things in this world. 
God wants to lift that burden from you. He wants you to know that He is there for you. He loves you that much. And we love you that much that we want you to be right with Him. So let's get right. Let's pray. Why don't we stand? (laughs) Father, thank you for getting us through this first study in Daniel. We know that a lot has to be established as far as the foundation of the book for us. But Lord, as we get into this, may, may your word truly encourage our hearts to be Daniels in this in these last days to really entrust our lives to you Lord like we've never entrusted them to you before <laughs> and realize Lord how serious these issues are in these last days <laughs> How can we shake off, Lord, the images that we see on TV sometimes, even though they don't show the graphic parts of it, but to think of people being beheaded as your word prophesied would happen by wicked, evil, anti-Christ-spirited people. So we realize, Lord God, that we can't hide anymore from that. Instead, Lord, we, we choose to let you come into our hearts right now and change us, Lord, from the inside out. It's not any piety that we might show on the outside that matters. It's our hearts purified and cleansed by your Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of your word. So, Lord, I pray that you will stir our hearts, convict us, O God, and challenge us as we see that day of Jesus approaching. We have a hope that this world does not have. But let us live in that hope rightly and godly in this present age. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.